0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Our editorial board took a bold step today and called on Rob Portman to get... Back into the race to end this nightmare we have in the Republican primary. It's the first story we'll be talking about today on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Seth Richardson, our chief political writer, is here to talk about that story, along with Laura Johnston and Lisa Garvin. I'm Chris Quinn. It's a Wednesday. It feels like it should be Friday.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You always say that on hump day. (laughs)
1: Ah, man, this has been a long week. Very, very long week. But You know, you are the boss. I think you have the power to make it Friday. <laughs> <private. laughs> Don't we wish. Let's begin. We published an editorial today imploring Rob Portman to reconsider his year-old decision not to seek re-election and to get into the race, bringing sanity to a field filled with sycophants pledging their fealty to Donald Trump in spite of his efforts to crush our democracy. Seth Richardson... If Portman were to enter the race now, I'm not going to conjecture on whether he will or he won't. He's a guy that does feel a sense of duty, but he's probably feeling really good about getting out of this mess. How do you think things would go for the rest of the primary if he got in? So, you posed this question
0: to me kind of late yesterday, giving me a heads up, and I've been thinking about it. And it's, it's, and, and, and actually, it's a pretty interesting kind of concept and hypothetical to think about. So, I think the short answer is I, I think he would probably win the nomination when you look at things. If he were to jump in right now, he has the organization. He's got the historical ties. He's got the donor base, and it's not just an Ohio donor base. It's a national donor base. Um, You know, Republicans really like Rob Portman, especially like, you know, the establishment Republicans. And I think if you look at what the Republican primary has become, you know, Rob Portman is probably much more palatable to the you know moderate types than some of the candidates that are currently in. So um, I like I guess let's game this out. Right. So let's say Rob Portman were to tomorrow announce that he is getting into the race. I think pretty clearly you would have one or two, maybe three candidates probably drop out, right? Matt Um, Dolan
1: would probably Matt
0: Dolan would probably be out. I would imagine that, you know, Bernie Moreno might drop out and I could, I could potentially see maybe Jane Timken dropping out if that was the case, just because they would share some of the, um, the overlap of like the ohio republican party faithful uh jumping onto portman so that leaves you know a a field of say maybe rob portman <laughs> josh mandel
1: mike gibbons right and jd vance and jd vance and, J- I mean, and, it'd be and Rob and, and, portman and the lunatics i mean yeah, it's and, like there's no there's no comparison between those those candidates
0: well and and yeah i mean jd vance kind of slipped my mind honestly but honestly he would probably. Drop. I, I imagine that he would probably drop out as well, right? Because again, well, there's... let me,
1: but let me stop you because I, I wonder. I mean, what? The, look, think about what Josh Mandel did for the first half of his campaign. It was like he was running against Mike DeWine. Every tweet he sent out was an attack on Mike DeWine. We kept saying, "Isn't he running for Senate? What's he attacking Mike DeWine for?" So I, I think you might see the the Josh Mandels, the J.D. Vances, the Bernie Morenos. Trying to do what Jim Renese is doing to DeWine. Let's go so far to the right and call Portman a non-true Trumper. The the question I have for you, though, is if Josh Mandel were to go all Trumpy on Portman, would that backfire with a lot of Ohioans who actually like Portman? He's always won by big margins. So is there a danger in doing to Portman what Renese has been trying to do to Mike DeWine? Well, I just don't think it would work, really, all things considered, because one thing that Portman
0: has been really good at over his career is constituent services and getting out into those areas of Ohio. Right. And that is a big part of winning reelection. It's not, you know, yeah, you can you can talk about the Trump referendum and whatnot. But if you if your guy is in your community actually doing things and has tangible things to show, that is going to make you like him more. And, you know, on the like, the other side of that is, you know, Portman can say, well, hey, I'm not the one who dropped out of a Senate race that, uh, you know, a Democrat <laughs> won. It's 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 a
1: really easy argument for him to make. And- so, so, OK, so so that you disarm Josh Mandel, J.D. Vance, Bernie Moreno, Gibbons from being able to attack him is not Trumpy enough. What what about the idea Portman dropped out a year ago? He was in the hot seat. I mean, you know, we have we have been critical of things with him but always respected that he's a reasonable guy who tries to do things across the aisle since he dropped out he's done a whole bunch of good stuff i mean he's been very active he he helped do the infrastructure bill he's i mean he's been very very public in the past year in a way that I would think would help him, right?
0: Well, oddly enough, the infrastructure thing could potentially hurt in a Republican primary, and Trump being the factor there, right, because he was very vocally against it, Because frankly, because he couldn't get it done. And, you know, Rob Portman doing this bipartisan team up to pass this infrastructure infrastructure package and give Biden, quote-unquote, a win would, you know— there would be a sector of the Republican party that would be pretty upset by that. Yeah. I think that's pretty clear. Now, I, I think that the, there's probably a broader segment of the population that would be, you know, perfectly okay with that, with this kind of, Hey, you know, this is, how government is kind of supposed to work, right? You're supposed to do these, you're, maybe you don't agree on things, but you come together and come up with the, you know, the least worst solution, I guess, if whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the other, I think, big factor on if he were to say jump in again is, um, you know, I have to imagine that he would just out-raise everyone in the field, basically, because... You have had some hesitancy from businesses like the business community over the past year to really sort of get back into donating to Republicans at a really high rate. You know, Portman would be a candidate that would completely assuage any of those thoughts. He would, would- he would pull in money. Like Wouldn't no one there else. be
1: a sense of relief? I mean, we got a bunch of guys running who really want to take us into a fascist state. I mean, they're really they they don't believe in that the that there was an effort to overthrow our government. They're trotting out that the election was stolen. I mean, these guys are dangerous people who, if they got into government, could end what we know of democracy. And a lot of people fear that. You talk to people, the Republicans, they're. Desperately afraid one of these guys will be the candidate. So so wouldn't that fear of how just ridiculous these guys are drive people to Portman immediately? I I, what I'm going to be interested to see is we started this. We kicked this off by saying, please, 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 Rob Portman, get back into the race, whether there is. A chorus now that starts saying, yeah, that's the ticket. That's the way to avoid the monstrous human beings that are out there campaigning now to get Donald Trump's approval. Well, and to bring it back full circle a bit of what you said about,
0: you know, Josh Mandel and a lot of these candidates really kind of targeting DeWine in some of their, um, you know, campaigns. I think that that would probably be the greatest sense of relief for him because, you know, Rob Portman and Mike DeWine have a relationship and are pretty, you know, kind of, you know comparable republicans in a lot of ways so i think it would you know really give him a lot of cover i th- it, it, it would be um I, I for democrats it would be it would be terrible for them honest to god and, oh no and then that, that would world. be it, it, would, that would, it keep, would be
1: it would keep the seat republican yeah, yeah but i mean it, portman would beat tim ryan i think in a heartbeat it's interesting mike Dewine came to see us yesterday and Ted died and tried to get him to handicap the Senate race and he wasn't going there. But before we began, he did have a smirk on his face and said, I'd kind of like to be a fly on the wall when you have those <laughs> Republican candidates in because he gets it. He knows this is crazy time. What's going on in Ohio? Well, good stuff. I, uh, I imagine we'll hear something from Rod Portman. He'll probably say no, but he does have that sense of public service and that sense of duty and if he recognized that he was the real hope for Ohio, he just might do it. We'll see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've done three stories so far on the big changes that have come to income tax collections for municipalities in 2022, and we could do many more. We talked about this Monday, but we have new angles to talk about today What should people expect with income tax withholding while they work from home instead of their offices? Laura, this is confusing as all get out. (laughs) I get it, but let's try to sort it out a little bit.
3: Yes, this is a complicated, confusing process that we are trying to make simpler. that Sean McDonnell is working on, and with the Q and A he published yesterday, some of these questions, which came from you, Chris Quinn. Uh, but state law requires companies to withhold income taxes from the city where you work, and even though your employer may not have a traditional presence in your home city, like an office or a warehouse, they do employ you in that city, and you count as a physical presence. So. Uh, municipalities can actually charge companies penalties or interest if they don't withhold that income tax properly and this has already happened in a lot of um, industries where people traveled like places like plumbers and electricians construction workers those companies are used to figuring this out the rest of our companies they have a learning curve and That's why a CPA put out like a 25 page, 56 question and answer booklet to help accountants through this. I think we're going to see a lot of headaches as companies try to figure it out and employees try to make sure they're, they're getting it right.
1: Well, and we are hearing a little bit about employers that are just saying, we're not doing that. We'll just keep doing what we've always done. But I don't think that's actually legal. I think that the law changed in such a way that they are now required to not. So all the people that are not working in Cleveland, have the right to say, don't give my money to Cleveland. You, you know, you give it to where I live or whatever. Uh, but it's going to create a nightmare for employers if they have to withhold for every municipality where their employees live. It might be... The thing that drives them to say okay everybody's coming back to the office today
3: <laughs> well that's a, a good point i mean i think some companies uh, like i said have been doing this but it might take new software uh you know if you don't have a system where you can put in place i work this many hours in this place it's going to be very hard to keep track of i mean sean wrote that you could tell your your employer a schedule like i'm going to work three days here and two days here and they can plan their withholding based on that. But if you don't follow that schedule or if it's a weird week or something like that, that's going to get it messed up. But you're right. I think we're going to hear a lot of people say, Hey, my company doesn't want to comply. They say it's too much work and they say I can come in the office at any time. And they're just charging me like I am. I I mean, that's something that it seems blatantly wrong at this point.
1: We still need to explore a little bit more about the refund from Cleveland Mm -hmm. because their forms are so confusing and, I, you know, we suspect it's confusing so that they can reject you. And I keep mean, the Cleveland, longer.
3: be confusing, not answer our questions. What are you talking about?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a mess. This is one of the most confusing things. And clearly most employers didn't begin thinking about it when the law passed. They're barely starting to think about right. it now. We
3: had months and months to deal with this. I mean, it passed in the first half of 2021, right? Yeah. I believe and it we, was like the spring.
1: We still have lawsuits in place that could require them to pay back all 2020 as well as 2021.
3: But you know how this is busy season for accountants from now until April? Like, these poor accountants, (laughs) they're not going to be able to take a breath.
1: Although, if they can come out and provide people with wise advice, I mean, it's still very hard to figure out in many ways what you're supposed to do. Maybe it'll clarify by the end of February. Check out the stories. One's by Courtney Astoffe and there are two by Sean McDonald on Cleveland.com. It's Today in Ohio. The brand-new mayors of Cleveland and Cincinnati held an unusual joint news conference to plead for state help with the coronavirus. Lisa, what did they want?
2: Yeah, our, our newly minted Ohio mayors, Justin Bibb of Cleveland and Aftab Purval of Cincinnati, had a joint press conference. They're asking the state to expand COVID testing capacity. Bibb says we desperately need more testing capacity, and but he is grateful for the help that's already been provided by, by the governor in the state. Eight, you know, especially the National Guard troops that have been deployed over the last month. And as you said, Chris, we talked uh, with Mike DeWine yesterday. He joined our editorial board, and he says he.
1: Oh, oh, you're about to get ahead of us. Don't get oh, ahead of okay. us. Oh, okay. That's the that's the. Oh, okay. No, so we're so let's stick with what um the two mayors. Okay. said. So, so they're frustrated because they don't believe residents can find out whether they have the. Uh, that's virus.
2: correct. Of course, tests, you know, are not being found on store and pharmacy shelves at all. We have one testing uh, facility in the Cleveland area that's down in uh, University Circle, and you have to have an appointment for that. And it's usually fully booked. They also ask for more masks, specifically N95 masks. So, yeah, they are they're really wanting to wrap up ramp up this testing capacity in the midst of this Omicron surge.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether they uh, they can get it. The there there was a long period where the state was trying to provide things. The mask the mask request is the more interesting one. For many many months in the beginning of the pandemic, you couldn't get masks. The N95 masks were all reserved for hospitals and medical facilities, you know. And then the 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 virus went into abeyance a bit, and manufacturing ramped up. You can get N95 masks by the dozens now. But for people of lesser means, they're not cheap. And so what the governor seemed to be saying is, hey, you got all this money from the federal government to deal with the pandemic. Can we provide N95 masks to people? Mm -hmm. Because none of the other masks work against the Omicron variant. You need the tight weave of the N95 mask that actually prevents the spread. Uh, and, we, and we don't really have an answer yet, so we'll have to, to see what Well, to
2: be fair, that. I do want to point out, because the, the CDC guidance goes along with this too, yes, N95s are the best, but KN95s and KF94s from Korea are just about as good. So I, I don't think N95 is the, it's probably the best, but there are two that are just about as good.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have the 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 KN95 is the same thing. It's just those those paper surgical masks really don't cut it anymore. You need to have the ones that are really designed to to filter out a lot of the stuff. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's do another angle of this. What is one big reason we learned from Governor Mike DeWine yesterday about why Ohioans are having a hard time finding free coronavirus tests? This is different than what the mayors were asking for. This is the home test. But, Seth, why is there a shortage? Well, there's a shortage because uh, about
0: 800,000 tests that were supposed to come to Ohio have been delayed uh, because, you know, everybody probably needs tests you know nationwide. Everybody is looking for a test, but uh, production hasn't, you know, been able to obviously keep up with demand. So the state ordered one point two million um, rapid test kits for January. But so far, only four hundred thousand kits have you know, gotten here and you know been distributed everywhere. So um, you know, the governor said he doesn't think that those eight hundred thousand are going to arrive by the end of the month either.
1: yeah, he he was kind of discouraging about it because he had made the big announcement. We're providing to libraries. We know that the libraries, when they get them, they run out in hours because people really go and raid them. We're supposed to have kits mailed to all of us by the federal government, according to Joe Biden, by the end of this month. But in the meantime, the shortage is there and people are having a hard time getting them. That was the first time we had heard that from Mike DeWine, that they had the order in, but but the national shortage had gotten in the way. Be yeah, it's it, well, it's just it it it's weird that
0: you know we are in this predicament. We've had two years to kind of you know plan for this, and then all of a sudden we have a testing shortage. And I, I don't know. It's very very bizarre to me that we weren't ready for this moment.
1: <laughs> we haven't been ready for any moment. So yeah, I, this is I you know. I, I, what know are you I, about? I
0: look. I just I, I always try to think the best, and you know I I I realize that I I sound like a curmudgeon, you know, ninety five percent of the time. But I do always think like. Oh, they can't screw this up again, right? Like, there's, but, but somehow we have, and it's just, it's, I don't know, it's, uh, uh, befuddling to me.
1: The only thing we didn't screw up was the booster shot. They, they rolled those out, and you could get them pretty easily. That was the first time I think in the entire pandemic that the rollout wasn't a mess. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Greater Cleveland's powerful Chamber of Commerce, the Greater Cleveland Partnership, has been led by titans of the city over the years. People like Beth Mooney and Rick Chiracosta. Laura, who's the latest to, to take the helm?
3: It is Paul Dolan, the owner of the Cleveland Guardians. So the GCP is people might know is the Cleveland's Chamber of Commerce. It has over 12,000 members and the board of the GCP has 92 members. So Dolan will replace current chair Eric Schnorr when he leaves in March and take over. He put out a statement. He said he's particularly energized by the emerging vision for the region and the breadth of collaborative and coordinative initiatives to foster and grow dynamic businesses, develop and deepen talent pipelines, ensure inclusive opportunity, and enhance our community. So he's optimistic, but this is just one more of those turnover where we're seeing a whole lot of new. I mean, my, Paul Dolan is not a new face in Cleveland, but a new leadership.
1: He he seems like an unusual choice for this. I mean, Beth Mooney was the head of Key Bank. Rick Chiracosta had a medical mutual. You know, the the people that run this are usually the CEOs of some some major companies. Paul Dolan is a very public figure in town, and he's been involved in no end of. Nonprofit work. I mean, he led the Food Bank and he's led the United Way. I mean, he's really been a public servant in many ways. Uh, but, you know, Indians fans are still furious whether we're changing the team's name. I, I, I'll be interested to see what his time is like there. There's, a, there's this sense of new leadership throughout Cleveland, right? We have a new mayor. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a new county executive. The GCP is led by Beju Shaw. He's new. Uh, there, there's a lot of movement does paul dolan's vision for the future fit into that
3: i i think we'll find out hopefully in march i mean while he had some very optimistic things to say i didn't see anything concrete in his comments and i think that a lot of people could argue that we we are still doing a lot of work on inclusive opportunity and and talent pipelines and enhancing the community i mean it's not like It's not like the last couple of years have been easy and we're like, oh, Cleveland's this glowing star right now. I mean, there's a lot of issues in in town.
1: Well, what I find heartening about this is because he did spend time dealing with the the food bank and because he has spent a lot of time at the United Way, he is as as aware as anybody about how devastating poverty has been. And there have been complaints over the years that the GCP doesn't think in the broad terms of lifting the entire community. So maybe Paul Dolan will bring that perspective. It'll be interesting to see how he he does. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talked months ago about a raging controversy in Hudson over the use of a writing exercise book that asks students to consider some risque and what many thought were inappropriate questions we're still seeing fallout. What's the latest consequence of the controversy, Lisa?
2: Yeah, just for a little uh, background, this the, curriculum, the course was called 642 Things to Write About, and they were writing prompts, some of them sexual in nature. And uh, the flap began because Hudson Mayor Craig Schubert, he actually found out about this at, at a Republican fundraising event. Uh, he was talking to I think Senator Kristen Rogner and some others. And so he runs over to the school board meeting in progress, called on the school board to resign and said what they were doing was pushing child porn. And so the curriculum, that particular curriculum was pulled. This is part of what's called the College Credit Plus Program, which is uh, administered by Hiram College. So Hiram College says we're not going to offer the College Credit Plus program anymore in Hudson or New Philadelphia schools. It will continue until the end of the school year, and then it will be then it will not be renewed. And they'd say, apparently this is the result of an audit of distance and recruiting at all partnered districts. I I guess they don't want to have these courses too close to each other. I I didn't really understand, but um, anyway, and, and Hudson uh, community uh, communications manager, Jennifer Reese wanted to be clear that uh, Hudson had no input on Hiram's decision and students can still take these courses on the Hiram campus if they want to. But so, yeah, I mean, I, It it was a hot potato. So, I mean, they were going to drop it. Somebody was going to drop it. So Hiram College says, we don't need the headache would be my guess.
1: Yeah, I I mean I'm not buying that they did a study and it had to do a location. This was a huge controversy. And look, this was a foreseeable controversy. What why use that book? There's so many other prompts you could use to get people to write provocative topics without doing something that you know is going to offend some portion of the population. So I'm not surprised it's controversial. It was over the top. The mayor of Hudson telling the school board members they were guilty of child pornography was so absurd that, you know, I, I, there was an attempt to recall him for a while, but I guess, I guess they, they might come to a natural end of his term at the end of this year. But Hiram, you could tell they were like, man, we've been in the middle of a bad controversy. They probably had some bad judgment. So just get out. Mm -hmm. It's too bad because it's probably nice for high school kids that, want to, to be able to have college level courses. And it's harder to do on the campus than it is at the high school. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How might Ohio health officials get a better read on actual coronavirus illnesses in hospitals than the way they count them now? Seth, the counts now include people who are symptomatic and asymptomatic. And some people think we should be focused on those who are symptomatic. Yeah, and you know, the governor
0: said yesterday that the state is considering breaking down hospital data based on people who come in because they, you know, think they they are hospitalized for COVID and people who are, you know, hospitalized for another reason and test positive for COVID. And you know, it's kind of one of those things so so New York started doing this, but it, it's sort of one of those things where you hear it and you're like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like why why haven't we been doing that because it would give us you know maybe a better read on the situation such as um you know g- giving a, a a better outlay of asymptomatic spread and how contagious this thing actually is so um you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if the state did go to that sort of reporting measure the the governor said he you know talked with some of the hospitals about it
1: well we're always one of the latter ones to do this kind of thing other states come up with these ideas Well ahead of us, and it would be nice to be in a leadership position in trying to provide this data. It would be helpful to know, though, how many people are sick with coronavirus versus not sick for two reasons. One, it gives you a better idea of the damage it's doing. But two, it also publicizes how easily you can spread this without even knowing you have it. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think has been hard for a lot of people to
0: understand is, you know, yeah. Okay. You're vaccinated. You can, you know, you obviously can still get it if you're vaccinated, but it's going to be mild or asymptomatic for the most part, you know, generally speaking. And I, I think it's sort of hard for people to wrap their head around. Well, you know, I'm vaccinated and, you know, I don't, like I obviously don't have it. I've never had any symptoms or anything like that. And I I do think that breaking out those numbers would kind of, you know, sort of give an example of it because right now it's sort of guesswork as to who's asymptomatic and who's not. It's all just based on who tests and asymptomatic people generally don't test.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope they do it. More data is better. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The biggest story of the week is broken by Andrew Tobias about the huge microchip factory coming to the state down near Columbus. We speculated whether Mike DeWine would talk about it when he met with our editorial board yesterday. Laura, he did a bit of a dance, didn't talk about the microchip factory because it's not public in his mind yet. But he did have something to say about a congressional measure that might help.
3: Right. He wouldn't divulge any details about what could be coming to Ohio. He did say he'd love for Ohio to get a chip factory. His exact wording was delighted, but he called for Congress to pass this bill that would direct $52 billion for domestic semiconductor production. This has cleared the Senate with bipartisan support, but stalled before the Democratic-controlled House. He said that bringing semiconductor manufacturing back to the United States is a national security issue, and that's because factories can't get them to build the things that Americans want and need. He said, there's nothing more important as far as things that we make than chips. And I think it's been driven home to people. So, yeah, he's he's asking for them to pass it. Obviously, that would be good news.
1: Yeah, it's a little strange you wouldn't talk about it. I mean, we've reported it. It's a done deal. It's the biggest economic development project probably in the history of Ohio. He's clearly going to use this when he runs for reelection. But I guess they weren't ready to talk about it. So they didn't talk about it. Uh, but we'll see. He'll The announcement will come within a few weeks, I suspect. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's talk about my favorite crime story in a while, the theft of a tree. Not just any tree, a 100-year-old black walnut tree. I'm a woodworker, so this one fascinates me, Lisa. How did it get stolen, and what was it worth?
2: Yeah, I was actually going to bring up your woodworking expertise when I when I talked about it. But yeah, this was a tree that was uh, at least a hundred years old. It was 207 inches around. And, uh, you know, in 5.5 feet wide, it's probably among the top five biggest black walnut trees in Ohio, and it got chopped down. And two people have been charged with theft and because they figured the tree is worth about $28,000. Um, those charged are Todd Jones from Bay Village and his sister, Laurel Hoffman of Elyria. Their family owns some land right near that tree, and they claim that their father already said that the tree was his. And and you know, they they felt it was on their property and they could cut it down. But Metro Parks, they're adjacent, their property is adjacent to the Metro Parks Millstream Run uh park. And uh they Thought it was on their land, but Metro Parks said they did a survey and said this tree was at least seven feet outside their property line, and uh, it it was on a piece of property that that Metro Parks had bought from a neighbor. And so Jones and Hoffman are saying they should not be charged with theft. The tree was theirs, what they, you know— to do with what they why they'd want to cut down a 100-year-old black walnut tree is anyone's guess but they did sell it to Fisher Logging of Geauga County for $2,000 Fisher Logging turned around and sold, you know, logs from that tree for $10,000 so yeah obviously black walnut is very much in demand for uh woodworkers and and wood projects so yeah this will be interesting and and Mr. Jones says that he feels like this is a strong arm tactic by Metro parks to force them to sell their land to Metro parks. So he's considering suing and he's trying to get a lawyer to represent him in this theft case. But yeah, I mean, why would you cut down a a hundred year old tree that your father loved if it wasn't for the money?
1: Well, and the, the thing about an old growth walnut tree that makes it so valuable is when walnut grows, the heartwood, the newest wood does not have that dark Brown color. It's very blonde and as the the tree ages the, the that blonde wood as it moves out from the center eventually develops that color so a 100 year old tree would have a whole lot of board feet of really valuable traditional dark colored walnut that people love to work so it's sad i i what threw me about this story is i had no idea that the metro parks had a tree census and they know where all their valuable Mm -hmm. trees are what an interesting job that would be uh check out the story on cleveland.com you're listening to today in ohio and that is it for a wednesday discussion thank you seth for bringing your expertise about rob portman and other matters thank you laura thank you lisa thanks to everybody who listens